Hello and welcome to the AdNug podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is a recording of our May 2016 meeting. First up, we have a short demo from Shamsul Harafin on his Bengali language text-to-speech app. Following this, we have Anthony Borton on build and release for applications using Visual Studio Team System, Team Foundation Server 2015 Update 2. Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? Okay, sorry for the little delay and technical delay from my side. Thanks, David, to help me out. So today, actually, I um, will be demonstrating uh, about a web application uh, I developed. Uh, the idea came up uh, to create a text-to-speech web solution. Uh, only, apart from me, only Google did it. But hello. But um, I thought to f create a, uh, an Android app uh, that will be offline. Um, what Google has done, uh, everything is online. You have to have internet connection. And uh, my idea was to create, finally, a, uh, an Android app so that uh, I'm targeting a, a user group um, so that they can use it offline and, then and they don't need actually internet at their end. Yeah, so let me start. So I named it as uh, Bangla Shuni. Uh, in English, uh, it's uh, I listen to Bengali. Bengali is the language of uh, Bangladesh. So I already developed a text-to-speech web uh, solution, and uh, which I will show you later. So just to show you where is it, is uh, almost surrounded by India. Th those who uh, are um, those who know about Nepal is very near to Nepal, and also Myanmar and Bhutan are the neighboring countries. If we consider Australia, so you can see uh, where is Australia, and the Bangladesh is a very small country uh, inside India. Yeah. So which problem I'm solving? As I told you that uh, Google has a kind of a web solution, and now uh, Bangladeshuni, the solution I developed, has a similar uh, kind of solution. Uh, but there is still no offline text-to-speech uh, software or app uh, in Bengali language. So I, I was actually targeting uh, the people uh, who are blind but can hear, so that if I can finally uh, create an Android app or develop an Android app, they can uh, use it. Maybe they can uh, up, uh, upload a PDF file and they can hear the book if they can hear. And also uh, mute people who cannot actually speak, uh, they can also use it if uh, because uh, for normal people they have to use hand language to communicate. So if they can type, they can probably use the same uh, application and uh, communicate with the normal people who don't know the um, hand system language of that of them and uh, definitely if the quality is good uh, normal uh, uh, people they can also use it uh, to hear a book or to communicate so um, since it's in Bengali, I mean the concept is from Bengali language so I have taken uh, a sentence how it works uh, in, in English if I say how are you 
so the pronunciation will be uh, as I showed here H double H and then A U O in Bengali it will be it is written also in Bengali R is written as A R and U E U kind of so th this kind of pronunciation. So the good part of Bengali language is it's very, it can uh, almost uh, take any type of word from English uh, uh, words. So I mean any type of English word can easily be pronounced in uh, Bengali language. Not like the native one you speak, but at least uh, it can give a similar kind of sound. And uh, so there are actually uh, around 65,000 words in Bengali language, what I did actually. Uh, analyzed those 65,000 words and uh, took the smallest uh, syllable uh, in research it says graphemes or morphemes so, sorry and um, then I actually analyzed uh, the minimum amount of smallest syllable for Bengali language um, uh, through database and uh, what I did actually uh, create a sound for those minimal minimum amount of syllable and uh, through the algorithm when uh, it finds those syllable they try to map with that sound and create the whole sentence in Bengali language so in English it uh, if I say how are you if I write it in Bengali you can also hear the similar type of uh, uh, sound so let me show you I hope uh, sound will work here So this is the web application I uh, developed and is uh, deployed in Amazon e uh, Web Service, the free version. So I got only one gigabyte of RAM, uh, but it's enough. And uh, yeah, there is no database. I have only used sound file, or less than 1,200 small sound file. And my algorithm actually takes uh, the smallest uh, mapping of uh, syllable and tries to map with those sound file and finally generates. Uh, the sound. So let me uh, show you from here. Sorry. Uh, okay, that's the second one. Ah, oh, been difficult for me. You can also uh, use it at your. Uh, I mean, in your own mobile is. Um, uh, is is supported from uh, uh, is supported by Mozilla Firefox in your mobile, but if you want to use Chrome, uh, probably you have to use extra Bengali typing software. But for Mozilla, you don't need to use anything. You can just type Bengali and see it. I cannot see it from here. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Okay, now it's there. If I say how? So it's uh, being typed in Bengali language, but uh, my target is to write how are you? No, not this one. 
Yeah. So I hope the sound will work. Yeah, so this is actually, so uh, I can take any sentence from you, say any simple sentence, which I can write it here, so that you can uh, get a flavor. This is just from my side. Anyone can give a simple sentence and so that, or a small sentence, so that I can type it here and you can uh, hear in English. Today? Good day, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Oh, this way. Sorry, you can see. Good. Okay. David, can you zoom out? Because I can't see what I'm writing. Yeah. Oops, sorry. I can see. I can see it from here. Okay, that's good. We're there. Good day. So I'll say D. not actually uh, written for English language, it's for Bengali, so for supporting Bengali, but as I say that uh, if we write it intelligently, yeah, probably it can give us the sound from English as well. time it will work.
Yeah, so it's not very, very near to good day. Yeah, but it's, it's producing similar sound. So what I'm saying that uh, uh, this is actually uh, created for Bengali language, but yeah, it can create similar sound for English, just to give you the flavor, but actually it's uh, for Bengali language. So any kinds of, uh, any Bengali word is very good at it, but for English, yeah, it will be similar. So that's it. Uh, probably I could show you uh, the code and um, how I did it in database. I mean, do did my analysis, but probably I have taken a lot of time, and uh, maybe we can see more from Gordon uh, from his uh, presentation. Thank you very much. To see it, and hopefully you will you have enjoyed it. Um, so you you working at the moment? <laughs> yep. Excellent. Yep. Thanks, Shamsul. So, yeah, so if anyone wants to have a chat to Samuel afterwards, feel free. Yep. Yeah, or at pizza afterwards. So, thank you. Really big head, because I do. All right, how's that? Okay, talking, talking, does that, that's all right, now, right? Okay, that's looking good. Here we go. Alrighty. Well, thanks for uh, coming along and uh, or letting me come along to you, your user group and present. And sorry, it had to be a change of nights for you. Uh, so I'm down here at the moment teaching a three-day course. So it was a good opportunity to head along and say hello and uh, talk to you a little bit about the new build and release uh, capabilities in TFS 2015 update 2.1. So what is 2.1? What's that about? Really, no one. Zero. <laughs> so, update two uh, has been out for about a month now, and Microsoft have taken the unprecedented step of releasing an update to an update, um, which is, you know, it's, it's a first, and it's a very good thing. So, update two is really quite huge. Uh, that's where release management, the new version, finally arrived on-premises, and they... You know, they basically had more bugs than they expected. So they they said, look, people can wait till update three or uh, we can get this fixed. 
And they made the decision to say, well, look, we don't want people to wait. We don't want people to have a subpar experience there. So update 2.1 was born, which is very clearly a re-release of update 2 with some bug fixes in there. That's all. And it went live yesterday. Uh, so if you haven't, up, uh, haven't installed update 2 yet, or even if you have, makes no difference. Go ahead, grab update 2.1 now and get that installed. Just uh, I've got a, plenty of uh, clients on uh, 2.0 and I don't know any of them have really been bitten by any of the bugs, but you never know. So take the update. For those who don't know me, my name's Anthony Borton. I'm a Microsoft Visual Studio ALM MVP. That's 10 years. I'm a Microsoft Certified Trainer. That's 20 years. Ouch, feeling old. Um, I've been a Microsoft Certified Professional since 93. That goes back to exam 001. And I'll do my 60th exam this year. Uh, I think that's coming up. I'm going to recertify on something or other um, by the end of October. So exam 60 will be coming up before I know it. Uh, and there's a bunch of other stuff up there we don't really care about. All right. Who can relate to that statement? It's true. They get really creative. They they tell us we want this. No worries at all. And then it seems like just an hour later they come back and they've changed their mind. So we've got to be able to go and respond to that change quickly and easily. A lot about, you know, a lot of uh, continuous deployment, continuous release. It's not about just working faster and getting things there, but it's really about, you know, lead time. How quickly can we go from an idea, the inception of that idea, to get it to the customer? So we basically reduce our cycle times, reduce our work in, in progress to try and get those lead times nice and short. Oh, we really need that. Fine, I can get to it in three months. Yeah, your managers don't like hearing that. Um, they want to be able to respond quickly or want you to respond quickly anyway. So the whole, I mean, let's use a buzzword, yay. Uh, the whole DevOps thing is really a story about reducing friction from a change to production. Just get rid of anything that doesn't add value. Ensure that we're keeping our quality bar at a defined level. You don't want your DevOps to quickly get your bugs to prod. Hey, rubbish code, but it got there quick. Um, probably not going to be the results you were hoping for. So put in place anything we need to monitor and maintain the quality and then try and get things out nice and quickly. So... Often making changes isn't much fun. But using the right tools can certainly help us. So let's start with a change. I'm just going to switch over to the world's most simplest application. There it is. And what you do is you put in a number, three, and another number, six, and you can add those together. Not quite as good as, you know, if it came out in Bengali, that'd be really cool. But adding two numbers, that's about the limit of my programming. And it even got it right, so that's pretty neat. So what I might do is let's have a look at that little URL. You'll see that it's a production URL. I'll copy that, drop it over to Chrome, sadly. Paste it in here. And the, Sorry, the sadly's got nothing to do with Chrome. Chrome's fine. I'll go ahead and see the application over here. I might go and say uh, the number three and five. Let's add those together. And, you know, I'm not really happy with that. So I might go up to the exploratory test 
um, add-in here. So this is an add-in available from marketplace.visualstudio.com. You'll see that that little add-in for Chrome allows me to connect directly to VSTS or TFS. I'll specify the team that I'm currently working on. And I'll say, let's go ahead and start some exploratory testing. So this is, well, I was going to say clientless. Okay, the browser's the client. But you're not going and installing a full version of Microsoft Test Manager with all of the prerequisites and all of the weight that comes along with it. Let's be very transparent here. It's not the same experience as going and using a full-blown rich client like Microsoft Test Manager, but it ain't half bad for a little browser add-in. So I'm starting my exploratory testing. I might go and say, let's add you know, four and six. Great. Fantastic. I'll pop up here and say, oh, let's record some video as well. That arrived in Sprint 98, so it's been there for about three weeks now. I'll start my recording, and I'll say that I want to grab not the entire screen, but maybe just that page there. So now I'm recording what I'm doing inside the browser as part of my exploratory testing. I'll come down here and try some other numbers, 8 and 9, add those two things together, fine. I might come up here and say, you know what, I'm not overly happy with this. Let's grab a screenshot. Let's grab this part of the screen here. I'll go and decorate that and point over to that thing there. I can put some text on it and say, uh, use second, not second. Maybe there's a credit card number on the screen, so I'll go and obfuscate some of the text there. So we can sort of easily do that. It's not quite snag it, um, but it's not bad when it's in the browser there for us. So I'll go and say, that's what I want, and that'll add it. From here, I can choose to stop my recording of the screen. I can have a look at my timeline and exactly what's been going on there. I can play back my video inside the browser session here and have a look at it. From here, I can say, well, look, I want to go and create a bug. And it decorates all that information in there, and I might say change the and as I start typing there it's doing a keyword search as I type to see if there are any bugs already reported that are similar using those keywords to try and reduce the duplicates for me I'll go ahead and say look that's all fine let's go and save it so we've got a bug here with a change for us I'll stop my exploratory testing there now I had to jump over to Chrome because that Microsoft add-in only works in Chrome Yep. There is a reason. And of course, what can you tell me about the extensions for Edge, the Edge browser? So they're completely Chrome compatible. So when those extensions finally make it into the mainstream, that'll work straight in Edge. They're not investing anything more into to Internet Explorer. Okay, so uh, the fact that Edge extensions are Chrome um, compatible means that any of these little add-ins they create are going to be written first and foremost for Chrome until we get Edge. And then we'll say first and foremost for Edge, but it'll still be Chrome. That doesn't matter. All right. All confused? Good. So a nice little add-in there. Nothing to do with build and release management, but I just wanted to show you that. It's pretty cool. Okay. Um, it came from the marketplace. So if I were to go to marketplace visualstudio.com. Who's been there before? Fantastic. A couple of hands. I love it. So Marketplace has been out there since uh, came into preview in November last year at the Connect conference, if my memory works. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. I'll go ahead and say Visual Studio Team Services, and there's a whole bunch of interesting things in here. And the list grows kind of every other day. It's well worth having a look. 
for the moment, almost everything in here is free. Microsoft are um, adding e-commerce to this site, which is which is good. So there'll continue to be free content in there, but then also, you know, someone will put a lot of work and effort into one of these um, little add-ins or utilities, and they'll say yours for fifty bucks. They can go and you know you can pay for it. I think that's great. You'll see here. There's the exploratory test add-in that you saw, and I can simply click on it, go and install it from here. Code search from Microsoft, really, really neat. So that's that's probably worth 10 minutes of your time at some stage, but I think you'll like what you see there. Uh, lots and lots of other things there, but I'm going to come down. Good point. So David points out this is not the same as Visual Studio Gallery. Okay, none of those things. Let's forget those. So this is all completely new, um, a marketplace, and it's already showing a lot more promise than, say, the Visual Studio Gallery did. Gallery was fine in its day. This has a lot more promise straight out of the gate. If you have a look up there, uh, you'll see which one? IIS Web App Deployment, the one that I've got highlighted in the top left-hand corner there. So if you want to do build and release management, who wants to release a web app on-premises? Do you ever release web apps to an IIS server? A little bit? Come on. Sure, surely. No, no. You, you're all deployed to Azure then. Tough audience. All right. So, what's the question again? The question was, who deploys to IIS servers? And my guess is, okay, thanks. A little bit of action. I love it. Good. So, you grab that guy there, you download it, you put it in there, and suddenly your deployment just got a whole lot easier. Your release got a whole lot easier. Out of the box, there's not that many tasks there. There really isn't. And a lot of the very common things you're likely to need to do in a release, it's not there. Set your expectations down there and you won't be disappointed. As we go from test to staging to prod, the database connection string might change, yeah? And probably a few other things. So being able to do token replacement in a config file would be sort of release 101. Not there, not in the box. Seriously. But if you go to the marketplace, there's at least six utilities in there that will do exactly that thing. So without using the marketplace, you're going to find your first experience with release management vNext to be a little lacking. All right? So this is your friend. It really is your friend. All right. So armed with that change request that came through to change this, I pop over into some source control over here. It'll be nice for me to have it open. And I'm going to make a change. Let's just have it open. Nope. Okay, so please enter your... Please enter your first number. Please enter your second number. So trivial change, let's face it. I'll go ahead and save that. Team Explorer, pending changes. Changed, simple text. And of course, I'd link it back to the work item and all those things. Do as I say, not as I do. We'll check that in. 
there's an interesting little glitch in Azure that's probably going to rear its head tonight because you can bet your bottom dollar that if there's a glitch, it'll happen in front of an audience. That's just presentation 101, isn't it? Okay. So what I've done there is I've checked some code in. It's not going to break anything. What we might see is, you know, if the demo gods are being good for me, a build is going to happen. And that build well, should be fairly straightforward and fairly easy. It's not a difficult application. Now, the build should be happening in the background following that check-in. And hopefully, hopefully, depending on the polling frequency, you should see little green light turn to little blue light in a moment. What you're looking at there is a Raspberry Pi 3 VSTS build monitor. And right now, we've observed that a build is happening in the cloud. Okay. And after that build is complete, and heck, it shouldn't break when I change some text in a display, it should go green to tell me that the build has succeeded. Or it'll change to red. Red is more interesting and more fun. Um, brown and smoky, that's not very good. That means those two wires that I scraped back with a Stanley knife this afternoon um, with a 2.5 amp cable means they've touched each other. So that'll be a demo a little later tonight, I'm sure, if I move too many things around. So what should be happening when you make a code change? Right now, it's building that application and it's going to trigger a release workflow for me. It's going to, after presumably the unit test pass, it's going to release this to test.mysimplecalc.com. I can run other tests there, although I've chosen not to. If everything goes okay there, I'm going to automatically trigger the next environment in my release. And it's going to push it out to staging.mysimplecalc.com. Yay, it built. Isn't that amazing? In staging, I'm going to do something a little bit more interesting. I'm going to do some cloud-based load testing. And I'm going to load test my little simple calculator there and make sure that I haven't introduced a negative performance regression. If all of that works, I'll go to the next environment, which is prod. And I'll automatically trigger that. But what I'll do differently there is I've got an approval process. So a human needs to manually go in there and accept that deployment. They've got to go in there and make sure they're happy with everything else. And if they are, they can go and say, yes, happy to deploy it, and off it goes. There's a bug that I haven't got to the bottom of yet. It's, it's an Azure bug. This one I can't take the blame for. Sometimes when I deploy, it's just a simple Azure web app into three different slots. It's really trivial. It'll actually lock on code analysis. I'm not using code analysis anywhere in my app but deploying to Azure with MS Web Deploy is going to drop a drop its bundle because of a Microsoft assembly I never use. Joy. So you go in there and you recycle, restart everything to do with Azure. You know, you ring them up, they reboot some of the data centers for me, and and it happens again, and then it suddenly works. Anyone? I think it's just me. No one else has that fun and experience with Azure, do you? Yeah, it's really annoying when you when you think I'm trying to do the lowest common denominator here, adding two numbers together in a standard template. You think shouldn't be so hard. All right, so if we go and have a look, okay, um, that is 
Okay, let's go and see if it's deployed that for us. So test.mysimplecalc.com. I haven't received a notification yet, so it may not be there. It's probably dropped its bundle. Come on, think happy thoughts for me. One of my next little add-ins hasn't got it out there yet, which means it's probably cranky pants with me. That's just luck. My build light there with the Raspberry Pi, with the Raspberry Pi 3, I'm currently just uh, pulling off the build, but I'm really inclined, it's an RGB strip, so I can do 16.7 million colours. I'm really inclined to sort of do some release things there as well. Uh, so that'll be the next little gadget and project, assuming I don't melt this one today. So that's been really un- unhappy, which is, which is just great. So let's have a look and see how all of those things fit together. I'll start by having a look at build. Pop back to the slides, let's see what makes all of this work. So if you go back just a little bit and have a look at our build environments, build in TFS in 2005-2008 was pretty ordinary. Does anyone remember back to then? Yeah. So we kind of had the build service. Heck, it didn't even do continuous integration. That was a an add-in. You had to go put a little add-in there and then make put a little call, a little trigger. Long story, anyway. It wasn't much fun. Microsoft then were very well-intentioned in 2010 when they introduced what we call today the XAML build, so Windows Workflow. And look, you know, it was well-intentioned. Debugging builds and things while they're just great big XML files wasn't great previously, so let's make it a GUI. You couldn't read it top to bottom because it was syntax and pattern matching, so let's make it so you can read it top to bottom. Great. Let's make it easier to debug. Fail. Um, so we can go and find a, a particular workflow assembly, right-click, breakpoint, run, stop. Easy to debug, right? Hmm. So time tells us that didn't quite work out well for us. It was slow. It was horrible. It was just horrible. Um, 2015, complete reset, ground up, led by uh, Chris, 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 Chris Patterson. Um, they created a brand new build system. Wasn't wasn't a change in any way. It was a rebuild from the ground up, and that was uh, that was really good. Some of the frustrations, though, in 2013, to do any work with build, we had to use Visual Studio. You didn't have a choice. You could be a non-coder. You're just the build master, but you had to go into Visual Studio. You had to have the same version of Visual Studio that you were working uh, on the build with. Uh, that was a bit of a pain for us. The workflow designer was horribly slow. With the first release of this in 2010, they wanted to assure us that they weren't black boxing anything. So they gave us a Windows workflow that exposed everything. Problem with that is when you double click that XAML file, what happened? Well, honestly, nothing for at least five minutes. It was crazy. They internalized all of that functionality, and the, the irony of it is we tend to customize that in just four places. Something I've got to do before the compile, something after the compile, something I've got to do before we run the tests, something I've got to do after the test. That's what I really care about. So they internalized those thousand other entry points and just made it a lot easier for me to access the ones that matter. If you want to be able to, you can get to them. So that was all right. Installing the build components was a right pain in the butt. So who's installed a a XAML build agent? 
ah, you need the experience. So you haven't done it. Put your hand on the table so I can hit it with this chair. And that's about as much fun, just, just so you can relate. So you go onto the MSDN website because you've lost your, your, your TFS ISO and you go and download a 2.7 gig ISO file because you want a build agent. You mount that ISO and you run TFS server.exe and you're thinking, doesn't feel right because it looks like we're installing a brand new TFS server, not a little trivial agent. It puts on all the prerequisites for TFS and then finally we get to the configuration screen where you say, no, I'm not installing TFS, I just want the agent please. And you answer a few questions, and if you're lucky, you get an agent. <sighs> Knowing how much fun that was, Microsoft said, how about you do that every time? There's an update as well, because that's going to be fun. So update two for 2013 comes out. Go and find all your agents and go through the experience again, because once just isn't enough for you. So yeah, that was horrible. There was no audit ch of, of changes to our configuration. Let's be very clear with this. Where did the XAML file live? In source control. Good. It's versioned. We can track it. We can secure that. But that was just the, the, the orchestration. That was the, the process. What about all of the configuration values, all of the settings that I put in there? Build's working great. We open up it. We make some little changes and hit save run. None of those changes were ever recorded or tracked. So the configuration, no, no auditability, no, no rollback, damn. It was also, you could only install that agent on a Windows machine. That's okay, because we all use Windows, right? Just like all of our customers and everyone in the whole world. I love the, the 1020. Still a fan? That camera still rocks. Can't beat that camera. It's, apart from the fact that, you know, you've got to say, stop, stop, wait, wait. Stop, wait. Takes a while to, to boot up the camera and get to the actual shot. Really? Pressure, sure, yeah. It, it was a... It, It was a tough day when I walked away from the 1020. I, I liked that, that camera. A 950XL. With the continuum, which actually works. So, we'll see. Anyway, there's some changes for you. A little bit of uh, another problem. All of the build infrastructure was tightly coupled to a collection. You have four collections. You need four sets of your build infrastructure, which didn't seem... Great. But we got away with it because hopefully most of us didn't have too many collections. So in the new world, it's very easy to customize it. Asterisks on that. It's extensible, so third parties can easily get in there and extend it, put their own build engines, tasks and things in there. We've got real-time visibility, which is amazing. So using uh, what Razor, it comes back and we see in real time exactly what the agent's doing, regardless of whether it's hosted in the cloud or not. It's cross-platform build. So there are native agents we can go and say, I want to put this onto a Mac box over here, Linux box over here. Actually, there's, a, there's something I can do. I can turn my Raspberry Pi into the build server as well. Just because I can. 
That's how all good stories usually start and end. Well, that was a good idea at the time. We also have full definition auditing. So we track everything we change, every configuration change. We get to see that. We can audit it. We can roll it back. We can do diffs and say, well, look, I've been struggling for the last hour to get this build to work, but it used to work. What have I changed? You can easily say, what are the diffs between here and here? And it throws up the two JSON files side by side, highlighting the differences. So that's a whole lot easier. So the new build's not bad at all. A few terms. Build server, the guy that does all the heavy work. Build agents hasn't really... You know, our build agents will go and install. You can put multiple agents on there. MS build by default now is multi-threaded, of course. So we can go in there and, you know, finally we can take advantage of quad-core, six-core, eight-core processor machines on our build boxes. This is new for 2015, the concept of a pool. Those pools can span agents regardless of wherever they are on the physical boxes or not. And what these things are is they're really an organizational unit and a permission boundary for us. To get access to those pools, we set up things called queues. And then our build definitions talk to the queues. The queues give us access to the pools. And they're all trivially easy to set up. So... Slightly different terminology compared to the XAML build infrastructure we've had before. So how do we go about setting up this build infrastructure? What I'll do is I'll go ahead and create a build pool. I'll give permissions to a build agent. Uh, we'll download the agent and we'll see how we can run some scripts as well. Uh, On-premise or in the cloud? On-premise, Azure. On-prem, okay. Anyone remember the name of my servers over there? Yeah. Ruled one out, how many combinations to go? Build new. Cool. So this is sitting on a, uh, a, a box on a desk in Kirkland, just outside Seattle. Okay, so that's the actual box there. What I'm going to do is simply open a browser. You'll see there that I'm connecting to TFS Pioneer, so a local TFS server on-prem in Kirkland. I'm going to then choose to go into the administrative cog of power up the top here. And in the admin, admin cog of power, where do I want to do this? I can go into my agent pools, and you can see there I've got a couple of pools created already. Who uses Octopus Deploy? So you'll see there that I've also got an Octopus pool. You go into the marketplace, you can pull down an Octopus component there. So it fits in nicely with this whole infrastructure as well. If you want to use, continue using Octopus, great product. Know the guy as well. So I'll say I want to go and create a new pool, please. Notice I'm doing this at the server level. The pool exists and is accessible outside of a collection. I get to provide a name for it, and I'll call it um, Adnug. Do you want to automatically provision the queue in all available project collections? Your choice entirely. Remember, the queue just gives access in those collections to the pool we're about to create. So 
yes or no. Um, if you happen to choose no, it's very, very easy to go and to create that yourself. I'll say yes. So we go and create the pool and it's that easy. Right now there is no agent in there. I've got to set up some security here. So I'll go across to my roles and I'll look at my agent pool service accounts. So when I go and install the agents, what am I going to run them as? Okay. What's a bad choice? What's a bad choice for running your agents? Network service. Excellent. Why? Not so much for the build, is it? Because you've got the builds working, I assume. It was when you moved into the release side of things and wanted to go wandering along. Network service drives me crazy. Maybe I'm just old school like that, but I'm a big fan of explicit or dedicated accounts there. You know, again, not so much for build, but remember now, the build agent is the release agent. They're one and the same thing. So giving it an explicit account that I can then go and give rights to that network share, give rights over here, makes it a lot easier to track. Just an opinion. Anyone dif different opinion? Anyone agree? Okay, you guys are all right. That's nice. So I go into my service accounts here and say I want to go and add a new service account. For me, it's going to be a, a normal Windows account. And I'm going to call it underscore S TFS build. And I'll save changes. So that gives rights and permissions there. It adds it into the build service accounts, picks up the rights that it needs. I'm, I'm a happy camper. Now you want to do those things before we install the agent. Okay. Any questions so far? Not a difficult thing. If you've never seen it, okay, there's a few little screens and a few clicks, yes. But in the big scheme of things, that's all pretty straightforward. In this particular case, it's a domain account. Yes. Does it need any special privileges or rights? For now, no, because it's going to pick up the rights it needs in TFS by having us go and add it into the um, build service accounts group just here. Okay. It may need something a little later, depending on what you're going to do with it. So right now, we're going to go ahead and download the agent. We just have to sit here patiently for the 2.7 gig of 2013. Yeah, right. I'm actually... That's, I'm, I'm hotspotting to my phone. I'm not going to make you wait either. So what I'll do is say download the agent. And have a look down there. It's agent.zip. I'll say sure. Let's go ahead and save it. You've seen I've already done the demo at least once. I'll open the folder and we'll see agent1.zip and my guess is going to be about 28 megabytes. 24 megabytes. And it's grown since the last demonstration. Cool. All right. So I've got the agent down. I will then go ahead and I'm going to choose to rename that. And I'm going to call it ADL agent. I'm then going to right click and expand it straight onto the C drive for now. And now that I've expanded it, you'll see there that I've got a number of files in the directory. If I want to install, in fact, let's see how big it is expanded just to prove another point. So it goes to a whopping 54 megabytes, still a bit ahead of the old XAML version. 
it's all very file based. So if I want to run three agents on this machine, what am I going to do right now? I'm going to grab that directory, copy, paste, copy, paste. I'm going to rename them. Seriously, it's that easy. Let's have a couple of agents. So we'll go in and grab that. Grab that directory, drag and drop, copy. I'll call this one ADL agent. Two, because creativity is my middle name. I'll go into this particular agent and you'll see we've got configure agent as a Windows command. Have they changed that yet? I don't think so. So what I'll do is I'll choose to run uh, PowerShell as an administrator. Might need to do this anymore. This may have changed recently. I'll say yes anyway. And you can all read that at the back of the room. Let's make it a wee bit bigger. Okay, that's better. I'll then navigate to the directory I created. Have a look in there and you'll see there's configure agent CMD. So I could have run it directly. I didn't need to go in via this. It used to be configureagent.ps1. So they have updated and changed that. And then I run it. It's going to ask me for six simple questions. That's it. The first question there is, what do you want to call this agent? And I'll say I want to call it ADL agent. Is that what I called the directory? Yes, I did. It says, where's your TFS server? In my particular case, it's TFS. No, I won't do it like that. I'll do it like HTTP colon TFS pioneer colon 8080 TFS. If I wanted to create a hybrid environment, if I wanted to put this agent on-prem to a VSTS instance in the cloud, right now I simply type HTTPS enhanceALM.visualstudio.com and now I've got a hybrid there. And it allowing me to do builds locally from the cloud, but more importantly, it means now I can do releases behind the firewall, even though I happen to be using VSTS. That's pretty cool. I'll press enter there. And it says against which agent pool. This is the point where you think, crap, I forgot to create the pool. I didn't. But I did forget the name. Damn it. But you guys, oh, it's in the background. I didn't forget anything. I think I called it ADNUG. Cool. So the pool we're going to use is ADNUG. What's the path? Remember, despite the fact you think we're in 2016, we still have file path limitations. So, C, ADL agent, backslash, underscore, work. That works for me. Don't get too carried away. Less is best. So this is where they're going to pull down our files. We're going to do our builds, do our staging, and then um, get the application ready to go. So right now, I'll say, that's fine. Do you want to run this as a Windows service? In my case, yes, I do. I want to run this in the background all the time. And it says, well, what's the user account? For me, it's enhanceALM backslash underscore STFS build, the account you saw me add permissions to later, earlier. I'll press enter. And it's asking me for the password. And we confidently type that in and press enter. Yes. And that's it.
So, out of curiosity, taking away me describing and discussing every one of those steps, so how long did it take? How long would it take to type that stuff in? About a minute. So we're, we're miles ahead. It wouldn't have, we wouldn't have even got a prerequisite installed compared to the old way. Now, this is for Windows agents. If this was a Linux box, we'd go and use um, NPN, we'd use the command line over there, we'd download from GitHub, the agent, and we'd go and install it on a Linux box or a Mac. Mac, uh, a Mac. It's kind of asking the exact same questions. All right. If we have a look in this directory now, you'll see there's a little bit more going on. Out of interest, that JSON file, that contains all of the configuration information. You just saw me enter. If I want to unconfigure it, I could go in and simply delete that file. Not recommended because, of course, you've still got a service reference in there saying, hey, there's a service here. But it is re-entered. I can run the config script again and go in there and just update it. If I want to go and rename it, point it somewhere else, change the directory, I can run the script as many times as I want to. We said we'd go ahead and use two agents, so I'll simply change directory into the other agent, agent02. Make it so I can see. Call configure. And there's our second agent. We'll exit out of there. Go back over to here. Check that pool. Click on our agents. And what you'll see there is two agents ready to go. Yes, sir? No, it never happens. Um, let me think. When you reconfigure it. Give me an example of, like, if you're going to reconfigure it, we've probably got the same directory path there unless you're going to move the underscore working directory. If you choose to move that directory, naturally you go back and remove it. We've still got our build retention policies, so I can go in there and set build retention policies to do some of the cleanup. Is there any other legacy left behind? I want to say no. So I no longer want to use underscore STFS build? Okay, so in this example, I would need to then go in there and either uh, disable the account, remove the account, or go into the build service accounts group in TFS and remove it to take those permissions away. So yes, I definitely still need to do that. It wouldn't do that for me. Okay. So you'll see up there that I've got my two agents now. I've got a pool. I've got a queue to connect to. So my build infrastructure is done. Oh, sorry, full disclosure. I am on a machine here that has Visual Studio 2015 installed. So you're going to want to have Visual Studio 2013 or 2015 installed to get the full capabilities, to do things like calculate code coverage as part of my build or do other things. So to, to set this up, I'd go and install, you know, get a, a Windows Server 2012 R2 box. I'd go and put Visual Studio on there. I'd put the agents on there, and then I'd be in a really good place. I also need PowerShell, but that's part of your OS these days. Will the Visual Studio 2015 builds, build tools package do all that for me? Never used it. Yeah. 
No. All right, so that, uh, I might have to, uh, I just, I can't answer that. I haven't. And that sounds reasonable. Um, but I'd question one of the other comments there that said, you know, firstly, why don't we want to put Visual Studio on there? Say again? Because it's a server? Oh, okay. So the answer that always comes up is licensing. You don't need to pay for that license so long as anyone using it is licensed at the equivalent level or higher. So put that into context. If I've got a team of 20 people, 10 of them have Visual Studio Pro, the rest have Visual Studio Enterprise. I can go and put Visual Studio Pro 2015 onto that build agent and I will not pay for that license. I can't put Enterprise on there unless I limit availability of that agent to just those people that have Enterprise uh, or I then have the option, of course, of paying for the license. Okay, so it, it doesn't automatically mean it's a license you've got to buy. Okay, we clear on that one? So. So David points out that if you want to run a build that calls into devm.exe, put in a license key or something along those lines, uh, that scenario may change for a little bit, sure. Yeah. All right. I can go in and select those agents now, and you'll see I've got my agent capabilities here. The agent capabilities are like tags in the XAML days, if you remember them, but they're better. So these are now name value pairs, not just the presence of a tag. So you'll see that it's these are some of the agents. It's parsed the um, environment variables for me as well. It tells me that on this particular box, uh, the version of PowerShell that I've got, it tells me I've got Visual Studio, Visual Studio 14, VS Test, VS Test 14, all sorts of details there. And of course, I can easily go and add my own. So of all my agents, I do need an old version of the Infragistics control library. I'm not going to put it on all my agents for one legacy app I build periodically. So I may go on this particular agent and add a capability, I'll call this one, um, what did I say, Infragistics. I'll say it's Infra 12, argument, for argument's sake. I'll hit save, and that says that this agent now has that capability. I go and install Infragistics Library 12. I invented that. In my build definition, I can set up demands, and I can say that I need an agent with Infra 12 there, so it goes and looks for that agent, chooses the agent, and away we go. So commands, uh, sorry, demands and capabilities replace the agent tags we've had in the past. Who likes installing those agents, by the way? None of you have installed the old ones. So you, actually, some of you had. So you never really had the old pain. This is so much better. Smiling, nodding. Pretend you know what I'm talking about. Makes me feel better. All right, thank you. We've got our agents there. So how about we go and create a build definition? Uh, anything else I want to show you while I'm there? No. So I'll close that. And that was all on-prem, as you, as you requested, as you asked for. If we wanted to do the same or similar things in the cloud, it's a slightly different story, whether you're using the hosted pool, where, of course, that's all done for us, whether you want to go and you know, run your own build agent up on an Azure VM and use it. That's your prerogative, um, and it's not really that different. If we go in and have a look, what have we got on-prem? So I might go and say, let's have a look at 
VS DevOps, see if we've got anything in there. All right, and I do. So I'm going to show you two things. What I'm about to show you is an on-prem build of a... Again, it's just a simple calculator. I seem to have that as my theme these days, it seems. This one I did before update two, before release management arrived on-prem. So I'm using build to do everything, including things that would be better suited to release management. But I want to show you some of the capabilities of it. Firstly, before I do that, let's create a simple build. So I'll go up here and say I want to create a new build. What's missing? What's missing from that screen? Visual Studio. Remember, you couldn't do anything with build previously unless you were inside Visual Studio. You went to Team Explorer, you clicked build, and you were bound inside Visual Studio. You don't see Visual Studio on that screen. Okay, It's not running, not open, it's nowhere. Oh, sorry, it's on the box. Let's be clear. I got carried away. So, you'll see here we've got some build templates. The default there says... I want to use a Visual Studio template. So it's going to give me today six automatic tasks in there. I can choose the deployment ones, although that, that's a little bit grey because really for deployment, we should use release management now. What we're also able to do is see this last tab there. It might be hard to see at the back of the room. It says custom. So if I go and create a build, I put some custom steps in there, I set it up the way that I want it, I can right-click save as template. And then custom as a tab will appear and any future build I want to do, I can say, oh, using one of the ones I created previously. Okay, so you can easily reuse these. So I'll go back to build. I'll say to Visual Studio build next. It says, well, where's your source? Is it within the current team project? Is it a remote Git repository? Is it subversion? It doesn't care. Um, What's the repository? Do you want to enable continuous integration? And what's the default queue? And I'll say I want to use AdNug as my queue for this particular build. It's only the default. I can change that at queue time. And I'll say create. So that's going to go and create the default build definition for me. And what's missing off this screen? Yes, no, XAML. And it's rendered already. It's finished. Which is a bit of a downer. I don't get to have a quick game of Candy Crush or whatever the heck is trendy these days. I'm not really a trendy or cool person. Um, whatever that game is, we're going to go and play that for a little bit. We can't anymore because it finishes rendering. Now, the first step there is a NuGet installer. It's going to go out there and fetch, update any NuGet packages within my solution. If I really, really was game, I could simply hit save, queue, and there's every likelihood that will build right now. It won't be optimized. It could cause some headaches for me, but it'll probably run. I'll go into my Visual Studio build task, and using that mini, file, mini format there, it's going to go recursively looking through the mapped workspaces, looking for a .sln file, any .sln file and every .sln file, it's going to build them for me. So I'd rather be a little bit more specific, so I'll go in there and I'll identify exactly the .sln file I want to use. So inside dev, simple calc, there's my solution. Click on OK. I can pass any MS build arguments across here. So in my example, I'm using MS web deploy. So I'll put in a slash P and some other arguments there to tell it to create the MS web deploy package automatically as part of my build. 
Um, I can tell it the version of Visual Studio to use for this particular build. And I've got some other optimizations I can use there as well. I can go down to the Visual Studio test task, and that's going to, just like the current version, it'll go in there, sorry, the old version, it'll go in there, look for any of my unit tests and execute them. I won't run mine. I'd really want to go in there and exclude coded UI tests because there are some. Remembering by default, it'll go through those assemblies, DLLs, look for anything with the test method attribute and try and run it, including coded UI. So I'd simply exclude that here. Then I can go and publish my PDB files by pointing to a symbol server, which is a fancy name for a network share. Nothing really more. And then we come down and we copy files to the staging directory. What that's about is we do the build and then I can choose selectively to move files across into a staging location. I can change the structure, the hierarchy of those, whatever I need to do before I then go and generate the artifact. And then the artifact or the outputs, I get to go and say, this is where I want to put it, this is the name of it, and is it going to be server or file share? Server puts it back into TFS, file share lets me send it to a UNC path. So if we were doing this on premise, premises, we could point to a UNC share. That would make most logical sense for us. If we're doing this in the cloud, the cloud can't get to network shares on our local network. It just really can't or it shouldn't. So I'd send it back to TFS and then I could easily go and pull that down from any client of TFS I could, I could use. Or I, maybe I just put it there and I can pick it up from there when I get to the release management side of things. Uh, but honestly, if I, I mean, I don't want to tweak some of those things, but I could go in there, click save. In fact, I'll click save. I'll put in a little comment here. Give it a name. I'll call this one um, add build initial build def with a bit of typing mistake, good. So that's gone and saved that for us. I can then go and make some changes. I'm not going to run this build, so it doesn't matter that I'm going to be crazy right now. I'll go in here and I'll change the MS build argument slash P, hello, 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 whatever. I want to do a clean here. I want to go and change some configuration variables, add a new variable. This variable is going to say uh, hello, and the variable is world. You know, truly ridiculous. I'll save that again and provide a comment updated the something, 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 save it. Now what I've got the ability to do now is to go over to history and you'll see where I've had my initial add and then my update. I can select those two right now, click on diff and side by side you'll see the JSON files representing the configurations for each of those builds, highlighting exactly where the differences were. Never been able to do that with previous builds in Team Build. Okay, um, that's really cool. And I can do that at any point in time. I mean, I've only got two. Trust me, you can diff any of them that you like. All right, um, I've got some other options in there. I won't go through all those different tabs. I haven't got the sort of the time for that. It's a yeah, there's there's actually a fair bit in here. It's a two-day course, Build and Release Management. So for now, that's that's just fine. I will call out a couple of interesting things though. Uh, Multi-configuration. So do you ever need to run a, uh, you want to do a debug build and a release build. You want to do a build that's targeting any CPU, one that's optimized for x64. You want to do one that has different branding, different arguments in the configuration, one that's got a generic branding. Does that, do you ever need to do multiple builds? 
So we can do that very, very easily now. I can go in here and say that I want to do multi-configuration. It's a two-step thing, multi-configuration, and then I tell it the multiplier. So I might say using build, uh, build platform. And I really should type that correctly. If I go up to my variables now, you'll see that where I've got build platform, it's any CPU, I can simply put a comma in there and say x64, comma x86. I basically specify it here, and that will trigger a build for each of those particular changes. If I go here and say release, comma debug, then it'll deal with that. As I run the build, you'll see that it serializes them. So it does the first build, then the second configuration, then the third configuration, or I can go back to my options and say, run them in parallel. Now, if I have multiple agents, it'll say, hey, uh, go and do the debug build on that agent, the release over there. They'll appear one after each other, but you'll see them both executing and both filling in as it goes. So really, really easy to do that. So I like that one a lot. Um, what else jumps out at me quickly there? Workspace mappings, I'd go in there and you know make sure we're only pulling down the minimum amount of code we need to do the build, just in interest of time. Uh, the triggers, the triggers are neat. When you've got the existing 2012, 2013 build infrastructure, you go and create your build definitions. For any given team project, who's got more than 10 definitions? No one really using that? No? So one of the challenges we had was that I could go in and set up a scheduled build in 2013 and say build at 10 o'clock. What if you wanted to build at 10 o'clock and 2 p.m.? You couldn't do it. You'd have to clone the entire build definition, go into the trigger, set the schedule to 2 p.m. So any of those kinds of little tweaks and changes, specifically around the triggering, often meant you then had multiple build definitions that were the exact same. Problem is now, you've got 10 that are similar, you want to go and make a common change, so you've got to open up all 10. The maintenance is a killer. So what you see up here, nope, triggers. When I go to my triggers, I can say I want, a, I want this to be a CI build, and I can tell it exactly what directories to trigger the CI from, not just the root. I can tell it to batch things up. So if my build takes an hour and in that time three other people check in, I can say don't queue up three more builds, simply queue one and batch the changes. That's an option for me. I can say not only should this be continuous integration, but I also want to use it to be a scheduled build and build at 3 a.m. Uh, Brisbane time on these days and at another time there. So let's go and build at... 4 p.m. Brisbane time on these dates as well. Had as many schedules as you like. And for shits and giggles, let's go in and say it should be a gated check-in as well. One definition, multiple triggers. Never been able to do that. Okay. Um, guys, that's pretty good. There are a lot of other little settings there. I've taken up way too much time on that. So let's have a look at the actual build workflow. I won't worry about that one. I'm going to go back into one that I've created earlier. I'm going to say I want to edit this build. Before we have a look at it, I'll go ahead and queue it. Let's see a build run, not the one that I was mucking around with. I'll say go. So one of the first things you're going to see here is 
we get so much more information than we've had before. Where the build was a black box largely, now we get to see exactly what's going on there. Okay, That's regardless of where that build is. If it's running up in the cloud, it doesn't matter. It's using that Razor capability to come back straight to the browser for me. What it's going to do is down the left-hand side, you see it running through those steps. This is going to take, it slows at the end when I do some really interesting things, but it's going to take about five minutes. For the old XAML builds, Hello World took how long to run? How long to build? About three minutes. Literally a console application you know, to output Hello World. Yeah, it was, that was all process. It was the weight of XAML. By comparison, uh, what's going on up there right now, Hello World would be a matter of less than 15 seconds. So the actual overhead applied by this build environment is so, so much smaller than those previous ones. I mean, grabbing that XAML file, deserializing it, doing things with it, yuck. Um, that was all things that had to happen every time we did a build. When I talk to you in a moment about exactly what's going on up here, it's, it's not bad. That last step there will take a little bit. Working our way down the left-hand side, I can also go and select any of those steps and it will show me in that blue window exactly the log output for that step. So I can easily go and narrow those build logs down. What's happening here is top to bottom, left-hand side. So we get sources. We run along, we fetch the, the source code that we're going to use. We restore any NuGet packages. That happened automatically for me. The next thing that you see up there is we went and did the actual compile. We went and ran unit tests. There wasn't many. There was four, five, six unit tests there. I also said to exclude coded UI at that time. So unit tests were automatically run. I published the symbols. Actually, that's a lie. The steps there, I didn't publish anything. Um, we ran cmd.exe. I'll show you what that does. That's a little trick tip for diagnostics. Underneath that, I published my artifacts. So the output of this build, I went and said store it. I think I sent it back to TFS. Below that, um, I copy files to the test machines. I copy the web deploy package. I run PowerShell desired state configuration to make sure the target machine has everything my application needs. That's configures code. Following that, I went up there and I published the website using MS Web Deploy. I copied the coded UI DLLs up there. I could copy the Selenium up there if I wanted to, whatever your you know, uh, functional testing framework of choice is. I then deployed the test agent. That's the thing that takes most of the time up there. It's, it's, not, it's not trivial. It's 118 or 180 meg. And what I'm choosing to do here is to automatically deploy that so I'm getting the latest version every time. But it does more than deploy it. It fully configures it for me. If you've ever had to set up things like lab management where you've had three agents with all this configuration to do, it was horrible. Now I say, oh, drag, drop, deploy the agent, off it goes. Once the agent is deployed there, the very final thing it's going to do, hopefully, hopefully, is it's going to go and run two coded UI tests for me. And if those things pass, then we've, we've had a pretty good build. That would have taken a lot of work in the old XAML builds. Okay. If anything's going to drive me crazy, it's going to be deploying that agent. Okay. 3.94 minutes. So it's going to get there. 
I'll ignore that and let's have a look at how that was configured. How are we going for time? What time do we normally wrap up? Okay. So if I say I want to go and have a look at that particular build, I'll go and say I want to edit the build. What we can see here is my new good installer. I'm saying I want to... You chose on-prem, so I don't have... Um, I don't have... What's the little tool? Zoom it? Installed on the machine up there, so I can't easily zoom for you. Um, I've told it where the solution is. I go into MS Build. Here's the solution. I pass a couple of flash P's there, telling it to build the MS Web Deploy package. We go down here, and I tell it to run my unit tests, but exclude any coded UI tests. This command line tool there, I'd love to zoom that in. Any easy way to do that? Ow. Let's not do that. Um, I drag a command, um, command line utility in there. See the command line one second from the bottom? And then all I'm passing is the tool cmd.exe, and I'm passing across a slash k set. That's all. What that does is it outputs all of the current build variables into the log file for me. Awesome for troubleshooting. So when you're trying to look at what path, where this artifact is, where's this config file, I want to go and move this over there, and you're not sure what the difference between build.staging directory, build.artifact directory, what all those things are, that little thing just simply dumps all build variables in scope and their current values. So really, really handy for troubleshooting. The next thing I do is I copy some artifacts across here. Okay, so copy and publish build artifacts. I'm sending it back up to the server. I use Windows machine file copy to grab a directory called deploy out of version control and send it over to the machines, the test machines in the test group. What is in that directory? Who's used PowerShell DSC? Just one person. So if I duck over briefly into code, go into dev, See these little little helpers everywhere that just pop up? I think that's really nice. I go into the deploy directory, and in the deploy directory, you'll see I've got three PowerShell scripts. One of them calls the DSC script. This one is configure web server. What configure web server does for me in PowerShell DSC is I go and pull it. Oh, okay, that's horrible. I tell it to bring in web administration and pending reboot. I tell it that I need to make sure IIS is present. If it is not present, it installs it for me. I don't care how, I just say I need it. I tell it that I need ASP.NET installed, and it will go and put that there if it's not already there. For the purpose of my demos, I like to install the web management tools in the web management console. My app doesn't need those to run. If we did install ASP.NET or IIS for the very first time here, it'll go and put that default website there. And I can go and remove it, but for me, I'm saying, oh, look, if it's there, that's fine, but I want the state change to stop. So if that site's there, if someone goes and starts it, the very next deploy, DSC is going to go and stop it for me. I tell it to go and create a directory called C colon backslash websites. I'm not a fan of C, INET, pub, dub, 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 root. I, I'm boring. I just go see websites. Thanks for coming. Inside there, I'll say I want another subfolder uh, called SimpleCalc and then go and create the web application for me. I'm choosing to put it onto a non-standard port. So I'm going with port 8,000 uh, 8, there. 
Finally, I install MS Web Deploy and a little check here to say, look, if there's a pending reboot, now's the time I want you to do it. So a pretty straightforward PowerShell DSC script. So every time we deploy the application, every time in this example we build it, it makes sure the target machines are up to spec. If I go into test and have a look at my machine group, here's my test machine group. So this is where I'm sending my application. And the zoom isn't working for me at all. So I'm going to have to zoom back out because we can't see anything. Let's try that again now. So I go and open up that test machines group that I created. And all we're doing there is I'm saying, uh, here's some admin credentials, and then I say test web01. If I want to go and deploy um, another machine, another web server, I could set up a virgin Windows Server 2012 R2 box. That's it. I run, installed, finished. I simply go and reference it here, and the very next deploy or build that I do, it goes and installs IIS, it goes and sets up ASP.NET for me, sets up all the different bits and pieces. I don't need my IT ops guys to go and run build scripts or any of those sorts of things because my DSC sets it up every way that I want it. Go, 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 feed these people. How do you normally do it, David? Do you want to break or should I wrap up very quickly or what's... Uh, 10 minutes of release if they want it because I was going to do build and release or if you've had enough and you just want the pizza, that's cool too. Does that work for you? So when the pizza arrives, you can grab a couple of bits of pizza Eat those while I finish talking. That sounds okay? All right. Guys, I've, I've really run through a lot of things there. I'm not trying to teach you how to use it. I'm trying to show you the capability and what it can do. So hopefully that's not been too, you know, throwing too much at you too quickly. I apologize if that's, if you're feeling a bit beaten around by it. Um, any questions? Just taking a quick pause for a sec. So. Okay, so if I can just repeat the question for the recording to say, um, when you were looking at all the XAML things, there were a lot of other activities in the custom activities. Were there some you've written yourself? Yeah, and some you've written by creating those custom workflow activities and importing them across. How do we bring them across to this? The answer is you don't. The, the slightly better answer for you is the ALM Rangers, if you've heard of them, Ranger shirt, have produced some guidance package around that that I haven't looked at yet. Okay? Um, so just search ALM Rangers, um, you know, build... Or, oh, actually, could have been released, not build. Um, was my email address on the site at all? If you if you search for me, I'm sure you'll find me, or you can ping David and he'll put you in touch. Um, I can point you to that uh, location. Okay, so um, one of the... One of the the double-edged sword. So let's be very, you know, let me share that with you. Custom workflow activities were a pain in the butt to create. So to do something with build, you had to become a workflow expert. 
going and creating a custom activity and debugging it was a pain in the butt. But at the end of the day, it was C Sharp or VB. And you could do kind of anything you wanted. In this new world of build, what is it? So now we're sort of talking Node.js, PowerShell scripts. To do a proper job, we should make it cross-plat as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a changing world for us. Not like being able to drop back and, or fall back into the, the C-sharp VB days. Mm, yeah. Um, so it is, it, it's, it's definitely a change there. All right. All right, so I'll do release management while you're all scoffing down some pizza. So for, for this one, only for the sake of the demonstration, I have chosen to go back to VSTS in the cloud. With TFS on-premises, with update 2 or 2.1, you get this new release management um, on-prem. So the reason for the change isn't to get it, it's just where I've got a demo set up, that's all. All right, so if we have a look in here, I'll go into my build, and you'll see the build for my simple calc, the one that I sh showed you before. It's a very, very simple and straightforward build because it really literally just does the build. We'll go in there and have a look at the steps. And there's the NuGet installer. There's me saying do a build and create the web publishing package. Run my tests except for coded UI, publish and copy the artifacts. That's all the build does. Compile it, run unit tests. Uh, anything in else interesting there? Really, no. That's my build. What I'll do is I'll move across and click the Release tab now. Just a point to mention, prior to 2013, Microsoft had nothing for release management. It's a little embarrassing when it's sort of a big ALM suite and you don't need release. So what they did in 2013 around the June-July timeframe, they finalized the acquisition of in-release from InCycle Software. And it was always built as a, an acquisition target. I mean, it went with the blend styling when Windows moved across, sorry, when Build went across to Workflow, they went across to Workflow. Let's face it, it was always built for Microsoft to buy. So they did buy. And they renamed it, oh, crap, they renamed it to Release Management for Visual Studio 2013. It didn't quite get into the product in the November of that year when they released 2013, but it was available shortly thereafter as a download. It still exists today, and it's called Release Management for Visual Studio 2015. It's not the one you want. Wow, that's nice and confusing. So, there are two release managements. The sort of the rich, heavy client look and feel. The ISO, the installer, they talk about the server side installing that. They talk about the agent-based deployers we install. You install the client. If that raises its head at all, if there's even an installer, it's the wrong one. Don't do it. Okay? It's, it's not getting any love at all. It will not appear. There will not be a 2016 version of it. They will continue to support it but you'll be using the 2015 client until it dies. Okay? So I can't be more 
blunt than that, don't use it. It is, it's not a very easy tool to use. So you've installed it? Yeah. It works. Absolutely. It's, it's, it <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, remember, in-release had existed before Microsoft bought it. They had three or four major releases. So the tool works. Um, you've almost, it's, everything is counterintuitive. So if you want to set it up as, you know, English, Western kind of people, we go left to right, top to bottom, don't we, when we read? Go the opposite way almost. So when you're setting up release management, work right to left and things seem to go okay for you. I mean, that's an example of it's kind of completely back to front. Now, the release that we want, there is no installer for. It's just part of TFS. So if you look up there on my screen, you see that little release option when you hit the web UI? It's just there in 2015 Update 2 and in VSTS. So we select it, and I can go and say that I want to create a new release. I click the little new button, and it looks a lot like creating a new build, doesn't it? And that's on purpose. Because let's face it, build and release, they're kind of, they go hand in hand. You need to build it before you can release it. The reason you're building it is probably to release something. So I can go in here and notice there's only two default templates. I'll ignore them both and say go empty. It says, where do you want to get the source from? Is it the output from a build? Are we getting output from Jenkins? Or we want to pick something else later? I'll say... Um, yeah, it's the output from a build, my simple calc, and I want the output of that build definition. I can choose whether I want to set that up as continuous deployment and what agent do I want to use. Remember, now I'm back in the cloud. Notice I can say use the hosted agents up there, the default agent. Um, I want to use on-prem. So I'm going to build it up there, but then I want to release it on-premises. But for me, that's not the case. I'll say hosted. It'll create the release for me. And it looks very much, or in a moment, it'll look very much like build. We have the concepts of environments. For now, that's test, staging, prods kind of things. But environments are a lot more versatile than that. And I could easily come up with scenarios where deploying to what we think of as test... I will create two environments because I want a different set of approvals for what goes to the web front end and a different set of approvals for signing off what goes to the database back end. So technically it's two environments that I just run in parallel and we see that as being test. Just an idea, but you know we have to break away those concepts of you know the standard dev test and so on. To release the application into this environment, test, what do I need to do? So now I just go and add my steps. So do I need to go and, you know, here's a bunch of, bunch of things here. Do I need to go and uh, publish a web app here, web deploy? Do I want to run some things from Chef? 
Um, I can do that. Something to do with Docker. Do I want to go and do a deployment to IIS? Uh, run some PowerShell on those scripts first. Talk to SCVMM to spin up some virtual machines on-premise if I need to. Do I want to do SQL database deployments? So do I want to use a DACPAC package to go and deploy those schema changes to the database? So whatever you need to do, you simply go and add the appropriate steps in, whatever they may be. I could go back to a utility step here and I can say copy some files across there. I want to go and delete some files as well. Uh, run a SQL command. Let's throw one of those in. Do a tokenized replacement. Oh, bad one. Not the one I wanted. Uh, let's update some settings and close. So whatever kind of steps you need there, clearly I'm not going to run this one. So we get that all set up the way that we want it, and then I can go in here and say I want to clone that environment. The new environment, okay, that all looks good to me. I'll create it, and we'll call this one staging. And then in the staging environment, maybe I want to do things a little bit differently. So I can tweak and set that up. In the staging environment, I also want to go and configure some approvers. So in order to go and approve it, I'm going to say that I need Anthony to manually approve that particular uh, deployment to that environment. And I've got pre-approval and post-approval. So Anthony's got to say, yes, you can go and deploy it. But then Fred, after we've deployed it, needs to go in there and check that it's all okay and sign off before I allow it to move on to the next stage. Guys, there's still pizza there, so if you want to run over and grab a pizza while I keep talking, just yeah, feel free. I'll say okay. I've got my artifacts there, so my artifact sources. That What I'm going to release here, I want to pull from that build from over here and over here. I bring my artifacts together. I go into my configuration, and setting up configuration variables is super easy now, not having to go and worry about variables in workflows and so on. Um, I can go and put in a new database connection string, some new credentials I'm going to use, set up some secret variables. I can go across to my triggers and say, how do I want to go and trigger this? So going to one that's already there, my simple calc release, you can see that that nasty little issue to do with code analysis DLL is causing me some stress there. But if you look at one that's already been created, to deploy this to a live Azure site, you'll see I'm simply doing an Azure web app deployment, giving it the details of my Azure subscription. I'm telling it the website name, where to put it, the slot, and pick up the web deploy package from here. That's all I need to do. So I get the outputs of build, use this task to deploy to a live Azure site, but I am pushing it into the test slot. When I move to the staging environment, I'm going to push it up to the staging slot in my Azure web app, and then I'm going to go and run some cloud-based load tests to make sure it doesn't fail or introduce a negative regression. And then finally, going to prod, this is, again, back to a simplified approach. So it's whatever you need to do to release, we set up the workflow here. One of the comments um, out of the box, some of the samples I showed you a moment ago when I was randomly adding things, a lot of those aren't available out of the box for you. We go across to marketplace.visualstudio.com 
and click on VSTS across the top and there's just more and more and more things. Simple things like token variables, uh, sorry, token replacement, going in there and being able to deploy to an IIS internal server. Uh, you know, there's just a there's just plenty of these things for what in a lot of cases should have been out of the box, in my opinion. Okay. Um, the approval process, I go into prod, go into my agent approvers, and again, Anthony needs to trigger this. So when I go and do my build, this workflow automatically starts for me. What should happen, what we can see back here, is we see now... Oh, doesn't like doing that. We see that I deployed successfully to test. We deployed successfully to staging. That little symbol there is saying that we are waiting for a manual approval. Because I'm the, the approver and I happen to be the person logged in, I can say approve or reject, or I can ask someone else to do it. I will have received an email with this detail there as well. So there's plenty of different UIs that I can use. If I go and say I want to approve it, I get to put in a comment here and I can say, yes, I approve it, but not until midnight tonight. And it will go and do that release for me at midnight tonight. I'll reject that and say, no, I'm not going to let you go any further. And that's now rejected. I can choose to go and abandon that particular deploy. I can also go and say I want to create a new release and then I can manually say I want to deploy to this particular environment manually. What I have here is, in fact, I have th four environments. The three we've spoken about, but I also have an environment called Proof of Concept. And that's not automatically part of that, tr that release pipeline. Proof of Concept is me going in there and playing with some of those new uh, tasks so I can choose to still use all my environments and all my apps up here, but say, look, manually go to proof of concept and run this while I'm you know, learning what some of the steps are. So it's really quite versatile and very, very different to the release management of old. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a lot easier, but it's not without its own little bumps. Um, and... By those bumps, again, I just keep referring back to the fact that a lot of the things you would expect to find out of the box just aren't there. So for now, pop over to the marketplace. And even you know, Microsoft, it remains unclear, but Microsoft are releasing a lot of those things now to the marketplace. So what's in the box seems to be getting less and less. Uh, when you go over to the marketplace, it's very, very easy to install these. Look for install and download. Install puts it into your VSTS in the cloud. Download is when you want to bring the package down and place that into your on-premises TFS environment. So guys, I've shown a, a lot of different things there really, really quickly and with you know very little structure. Uh, hopefully you like what you've seen there in terms of what build and release can do for us in 2015. Uh, there's plenty more that it can do. Uh, but again, I'm happy to take a few questions before we go ahead and wrap up. Go ahead, question. Have I used Octopus much before? No. They are two very different models, though. So Octopus works with agents. They call them tentacles. Go ahead. 
Wow. Is release management competing against octopus? Well, yes, is the short answer. The longer answer is if you, for a long time, possibly even up to now, although I think the docos finally caught up, if you went to Microsoft, you went to Chris Patterson, some of the guys on the team here and said, oh, how do I create a custom um, you know, uh, release, build, uh, release step? What would they do? They'd point you to Damien Brady at Octopus Deploy and say, ask Damien, he's the guru. Not really what you'd do for a competitor. Octopus Deploy was one of the first ones released um, in November last year to the, to the marketplace. So Microsoft are very, very different with their competitors today. Um, so another, what, are, what are some of the main differences, perhaps? So Octopus Deploy does work with agents. The, going and putting agents there does give you some uh, extra flexibility. But if we're going to deploy to, a, to 100 machines, you've got to install the tentacle on 100 different machines. You then tell it to, and I think they work on a polling system, so the tentacles poll back to the central server? Push or pull, that's right. Um, so that raises some interesting challenges around firewalls, DMZs, and what's going on. Um, it, the Microsoft Release Management doesn't use agents. Okay, they're agentless. What it does is it uses WinRM, so Windows Remote Management. So between the Release Management agent and the machines we're deploying to, we need access to what's the default port for WinRM? 8058 something something? Um, now, WinRM is basically built into Windows for us. It relies on sort of remote running of PowerShell scripts and those sorts of things. So I guess it's very different like that. Um, what else could I tell you about the differences between them? Um, look, Octopus is a great product. I, won't ab I absolutely won't say a bad thing about it. The guys deserve all their successes. Um, they've also been iterating quite, quite quickly and it's well established. They've got a great user base there. So... If you're using Octopus and you're happy with it, keep using it. Um, otherwise, I suppose, if you're just looking for something that's out of the box now, finally, um, have a look at the release management in CFS or VSTS and see how you go. I, they really are putting a lot of work into this. So like uh, Sprint 99 was released last Friday and it had four or five new things went into release management just last week in VSTS. Uh, so... The devil's in the detail. I love how Octopus deal with um, configuration variables across environments. I like that a lot better than what Microsoft have done so far. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Any other questions? How does it go cross-domain? Um, you know, it's, it's not a magic silver bullet to go cross-domain. If you've got network connectivity there um, and we're accessing it with WinRM, we still need the appropriate rights on the target machine. 
So we may still be faced with things like shadow accounts between those domains. Um, I don't know that RM really solves any problems in that space. Remember, the release agent is just the same as a build agent. So when you saw me go and download that little zip file, um, set that up, answer those questions, it's the build and release agent. Um, so you can put those kind of wherever you like. As an example, yep. So what it would look like is basically they would still be shown one on top of each other. Um, what I did, there was one of the screens, um, in fact, I didn't show you the bottom half of the screen. I went and, sh um, is it still up there? I'll show you. It'll only take a sec. So when I, when I go and look at my triggers, the bottom half of the screen you didn't see just here. So I say, automatically trigger release to the test environment after the release is created. So the minute I create the release, it starts deploying to that environment. I then say for the staging environment, as soon as test is done, start deploying here. I say as soon as we've deployed to staging, start deploying to prod. So that's how I sort of sequence those things together. So one of the recent changes says I can now set up a condition against two environments. So don't start releasing to staging until both of these ones are now complete. Okay, so it's that little section down the bottom there. And of course, my proof of concept, I never trigger. I say it's purely always manual. Do the approvers need TFS licenses? No. They need email and a browser usually. You can ask a question about cost. Great. David will take that later. <laughs> Please ask your lovely question about cost because I love talking about cost and licensing. Please go ahead. What's its cost? Jokes aside, I really don't know the answer. What it's going to be is, I think they are looking at, or they have chosen to license by the agents, and I think you might get like X agents by default on-prem, and if you go past that number, you've got to buy another agent there. Um, I really don't have the answer to that, I'm afraid. I'm useless at it, sorry. Um, if you just want to use it um, up in Azure, for, is that with a VSTS? Um, so if you just want to use it in Azure with the hosted build agent, then you just, you just pay for your normal minutes. There's no other cost there. Um, yeah, I, there's been an internal conversation about those sorts of things and I, I, I admit to not opening it up and reading it. 
if there's no other questions, I'll let David wrap us all up. So thanks for your hospitality. Let me come along and patiently listen to me.